Thanks, Adam. Um, <clears throat> just to um, uh, tie in with uh, with our last session, uh, you may uh, you may find it helpful uh, at some point, and I, there's a sheet uh, in your uh, packet. At the top of it, it says Psalm 151. Um, that was not a typo. Um, <clears throat> that's to remind you that you may write something, but it may not be inspired. Um, but it might be very, very real from your heart. Um, some time ago, um, a pastor, author, theologian uh, by the name of uh, uh, Walter Brugman um, said that the Psalms uh, can be divided into three categories. Um, It can be Psalms that focus on orientation, Psalms that focus on uh, disorientation, and Psalms that focus on reorientation. And uh, I I basically think that's a, a, a way of saying that we can take a look at our lives and realize that some things have happened in the past tense, in the present tense, and things that we're anticipating are going to happen in the future. And we need to just give validity to those thoughts that we are wrestling with. And and one of the things, as you read or study the Psalms or use them, as you minister to other people, is that you discover that they really have tremendous uh, application and honesty to what people are thinking or feeling at the times that those pieces of inspired literature um, were brought into the life and the people of Israel. And so you may find it helpful. If you're a person who likes to write, likes to journal, uh, you may find it helpful for you to write your own psalm to God. Um, but I have a proposition um, on, on what, the, what the church should be doing. So if we ask the question, what's a church to do? My proposition is this. I think as believers, uh, when we understand the anatomy of grief, that we must take a common sense approach to ministering to those people who are experiencing suffering and loss. And I emphasize the words, a common sense approach. And what what I'd like to do for the next... um, Uh, 20, 25 minutes or so, as I'd like to just review and remind you of common sense approaches which we find in the Gospels. Okay? So you can uh, make your way to that page in the the booklet uh, if you uh, would like to. Uh, We are looking at what's a church to do, and I'm going to give you five statements that focus around the senses. Because I believe that there is such a thing as sensory Christianity. And I think that when we talk about what's a church to do, let's take a look at what Jesus did. And I would propose to you that Jesus exercised ministry around the senses. So let's look at them one by one, okay? First of all, exercise common sense by paying attention to what you see. 
Now, I've put a lot of this information down in writing for you, so you don't have to take a lot of notes here this afternoon. But I just want you to give thought to these things, and passages are there to support some of these. You remember the passage in John chapter 9, um, excuse me, John chapter 5, when Jesus heals a paralytic man at the pool of Bethesda. And it, it says, when you go back and you look at that passage, the emphasis was there on what Jesus saw. He saw a man lying by the pool of Bethesda. You go to Luke chapter 5 in verses 17 to 20, and you remember this story very well. Jesus is teaching. The house is crowded. People are looking in the windows. uh, And four men come carrying a paralytic. They can't get the man in the house. So remember, they go up the side steps along the side of the house. They begin to take the roof apart, and they lower the paralytic down through the hole in the roof right in front of of Jesus. Now, how in the world could Jesus not pay attention to what he was seeing and everyone else in the room was seeing the exact same thing? That's a common sense response, to pay attention to what we see. Now, let's take it out of the realm of the scriptures, and let's personalize it for the here and now. When we see a need that exists in a person, and it could be related to suffering, it could be related to grief, loss, incapacitated through some series of events, someone uh, recovering from surgery, we could go on and on. But if we learn to just pay attention to what we see, it will open incredible doors of opportunity for us. Proverbs chapter 24, verse 32, is a verse that I have fallen in love with. And again, because it stresses the common sense approach to ministry. The writer of the Proverbs says this, I applied my heart to what I observed and learned a lesson from what I saw. He just opened his eyes and paid attention to what was going on around him, and he saw a need and did something about it. That's exactly what Jesus did. Now, If you're aware that there are people whose lives are in turmoil, aware that there are needs that are existing in the body of Christ around us, aware that there are needs in our community, and we identify them, we label them, we observe them, and do nothing about it. And we're no different than the priest and the Levite who walked by the man on the Jericho Road, but remember, they walked by on the other side. In fact, if you've ever been to Israel, shame on you. Come with me. I'll take you. It'll change your life. You'll never be able to read the Bible the same way again. It would be very difficult to walk past someone on that road you would literally 
have to step over them to not become involved. How many times do we see needs and just ignore them and pretend they aren't there? We don't have a difficult time identifying the need. We don't have a a hard time saying there is a problem in this particular area. We have the hard time figuring out what I should do about it. And we need to do something. We need to step up and stop being the critic and become the activist. And so when that young lady that I mentioned this morning as I was contra- introducing the day, when that young lady who came to my wife and I who was six months pregnant, she called me in the middle of the night. She said, I'm six months pregnant. I have no place to go. I've run away from another home. At that point in time, she was 16 years old. She had been in and out of, by that point in time, more than 20 different foster homes. It would be one thing to simply say to her, well, we'll pray that you find a place to go. The difficult thing was to say, I will come pick you up and you can stay with us. Not knowing that she was going to live with us for the next year and a half. Not knowing that she would give birth to that child. Not knowing the disruption that she would bring to our family's life and how difficult that would become on our marriage. We cannot simply see needs and allow them to go unaddressed. If that is the case, we are simply the priest and the Levite who walk by on the other side of the road. The commonsensical thing to do is to pay attention to what we see. That's what Jesus did when he saw a need. Read through the Gospels again. And just do a word study on how many times he saw the needs. He did not always heal everyone. He did not always solve every problem. But many, many times he did. A second area was common sense says, pay attention to what you hear. Pay attention to what you hear. Again, from the example of Jesus, how many times did he say, let him who hath ears to hear, let him hear? Pay attention to what we hear. One day he heard ten lepers, one of them who was a Samaritan, outcasts of society, living together, And they were yelling at Jesus from a distance. You ever wonder why they didn't just come up to Jesus? They were not permitted to by Mosaic law. They had to shout out when they they were within a restricted distance. They had to shout out to everyone, 
unclean, unclean. They had labels. And they had to shout that out to everyone so that someone would not get too close to them and consequently defile themselves ceremonially. And so on this day, when Jesus hears these men calling out to him from Luke chapter 17, they ask Jesus to have mercy on them. And he simply grants their request. And he tells them, if you remember the story, he said, go and show yourselves to the priest and you will be cleansed. And you remember the rest of the story that the only one who returned to give thanks to him was the one who was a Samaritan. And this time he was able to come back and he did fall at Jesus' feet and he was able to touch Jesus. But Jesus paid attention to what he heard. When you listen to people as they're talking to you and telling you their story, do you ever find yourself, and I'm speaking to myself too, do you ever find yourself formulating a response to what you're going to say to them instead of really listening to what they're saying to you? I I find that sometimes I'm I'm trying to think of what's that passage that I want to use to share with them. How am I going to respond to this instead of giving them 100% of my undivided attention to listen to what they're saying? Yes, I think it's a good idea for us to pray for a person. But don't just, as a result of hearing what someone says, don't just say, I'll pray for you. What if he would say, let's take a moment and pray together right now. Right here, right now. When someone has shared a need, a concern with us, that is the best time to pray for them. I always find it interesting that God gave us two ears and one tongue. You've heard the cliche. That means we should do twice as much listening as speaking. I mean, with the one tongue, James says we're in trouble because the tongue is the most unruly member of the mouth, of the body. That's why things that we say come out so shallow, so foolish, so insensitive. To people at times. You see, we earn people's trust not by judging what they say and feel, but letting them know that they have been heard. Now, I don't believe that that gives us a blanket to simply say, well, what you're doing is okay. Don't misunderstand me. I'm just saying, make sure that you hear what the person is saying. And so often, Jesus simply listened to what individuals said. Read through the Gospels afresh and look at how many times Jesus listened. 
He listened carefully before he spoke. The third sense that we should exercise is that of taste. Say, oh, that was a little tougher. Well, it is. Exercise common sense by paying attention to what you taste. Now, it's interesting how many stories in the Bible and accounts come as a result of things that were shared that involved literal, physical taste. You all know what Jesus said to the woman at the well in John chapter 4. He said, give me a drink because I'm thirsty. We all know that in the history of Israel, in the Mosaic law, it required a multitude of different feasts that be shared with the people during the course of a year. So many of the times of celebration coincided with feasts to commemorate certain things that occurred. The greatest one, or the most memorable, maybe to us, would be the Last Supper. It was when Jesus did, according to the Gospel of John, some of his most important teaching in those last hours, days, that he shared with the disciples. He instituted that ordinance, as we refer to it, of communion in the course of a last meal that he shared with them. It was part of the Passover meal, the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. And so we continue to celebrate communion with one another, others in the body of Christ, and we do it as a backward glance, and we taste, and we drink, we eat and we drink, to remember the work of Christ that was done on the cross for us. Jesus had no scruples when it came to sitting down with unbelievers and sharing a meal with them. I don't know what it's like in your home, but I know in our home many times, When we have guests over, or friends, we never get away from the dining room table. Once we come and we sit down and we're at the table, we can make a meal last for hours. We have the main course, and you take a break, and you have dessert, and you have coffee, More dessert, more coffee, and you can be ours. Many times, we never even make it into the living room. And it's often the dining room and sitting around the table where people are relaxed that they'll tell you stories about their lives. Jesus frequented places where he could have meals with sinners. When was the last time 
that a no good, dirty, rotten sinner sat at your table for a meal. I'm talking about the lowest of the low, the tax collector, the prostitute, the person who had physical difficulties. Wouldn't that make a great church dinner? Put an advertisement in the newspaper. Having a dinner to honor all of the prostitutes in the county. I guarantee your church would be on the map and would never be forgotten. (laughs) Probably not going to happen, is it? Maybe it would happen in your home with maybe someone who you may know. You see, let them taste life again by doing life with somebody who cares about them. The fourth commonsensical thing that we ought to remember is touch. Now, this one's very controversial. But again, I'm going to drive you back to the Scriptures for your own study. And I want you to go back and reread the Gospels, and I want you to pay particular attention to how many times Jesus touched people. He touched the untouchables. In Mark chapter 1, he touched a leper. There are multiple illustrations. Luke chapter 6 is one of them. I give you the reference there. We're not taking the time to turn to the passages. I simply want to validate what I'm saying and anchor it in the word of God. But there was something that people recognized that there was power in even being able to touch Jesus. Jesus touched and healed a woman who was crippled for 18 years. There was another woman in a context of a crowded uh, scene, do you recall? And she touched the hem of his garment, and Jesus stopped right in the middle of his conversation and his travels, and he said, who touched me? And the disciples, if I can loosely paraphrase it, said, what are you nuts? We're in the middle of a crowd here. Jesus said, no, this, is, this touch was different. This was a healing touch where someone touched me expecting healing to be done. You know, as a pastor... One of the things that I learned was how many people want, I'll go go further, how many people need to be touched? You know who taught me that principle? Were the widows in my church. Because we had a ministry to widows. And I would make it a point every Sunday when I would greet people or say goodbye to people, I would try to make it a point every Sunday to hug or hug and kiss every widow. Because from their own lips, they told me 
This is the only time of the week when someone shows any affection to me. I learned an important lesson from them. I remember a ministry at a camp when I was active in youth ministry when a young gal, young teenager came up and she latched on and she gave me one of those bear hugs. And I hugged her back. And she just looked at me and she said, you hugged me as if you really meant it. I remember working as a hospital chaplain that I mentioned earlier. And I went in to see a woman who I'd seen many times. She was an African-American woman. She was dying of cancer in her bed. I went over, and when I greeted her, I held her hand. I leaned over, and I gave her a kiss on the cheek. When I walked out of the room, I overheard her say this to her roommate. Did you see, he kissed me just as if I was a white woman. At the college, I am stunned at the number of young men and young women who have never been shown physical affection within boundaries that were acceptable. They say, well, Jim, that's easy for you. You're, you're a hugger. Well, let me just tell you that that was something that I learned to do. Because I don't ever remember in my lifetime I don't ever remember my father hugging me, not once. There were two times that my father said, I love you. One was on my 40th birthday over the telephone, and the other was just before he became unconscious, before he died from his hospital bed. I purposed at that point in time that I was going to make a change in the dynamics of our family. And I made God a promise, and I made my wife a promise, and I made myself a promise that every time, every time I saw my sons, I have three sons, that every time I saw them, I would give them a hug and a kiss, and that I would say, I love them. Now, that got a little tricky through the teenage years. Okay? Rules changed just a little bit during the teenage years because then it was more the rough housing kind of stuff, and, you know, I had to pin them down when I was still able, and then they would pin me down um, to escape. But even to this day, with sons who are 30, 28, and 25, If they walked into this room, the first thing they would do would be to walk up to me and give me a hug, and I would give them a kiss. 
I want to tell you that in a world that is sex-crazed, people have lost their bearings on what is appropriate physical affection. And I'm amazed at the number of young people at the college that I meet who just have grown up in such uh, dysfunctional homes that they don't even know. They don't even know the love shown properly of someone who would be a parent figure to them. I've said many times that I almost have to play a parent role before I can even get to the point of being a professor. I'm not saying this to try to pump myself up or to make myself um, (laughs) into something that I'm not. I'm I'm just saying that when you take a look at the life and ministry of Jesus, he was a man's man. And he thought it important to touch people. And there was something healing in that touch that was appropriate. You know that I'm not talking about anything that is inappropriate. We certainly could go off in other directions there. I'm talking about things that are within the boundary, within the boundary of being appropriate. So I often greet people, most often greet people, and want to show physical affection which doesn't make them feel uncomfortable. You say, well, how do you know that, if they're going to feel uncomfortable or not? I ask them. And I usually say something like, I'm a hugger. And you can tell. You can tell if someone is or isn't. In fact, sometimes it's really funny. Sometimes if someone's not, I've found that I can back them around a room almost anywhere I want because (laughs) they are real concerned about that spatial distance. So I I do it kind of as a fun thing at times because every time I take a step toward them, they take a step backwards. And, uh, you know, so you can tell. You can tell. But the easiest thing to do is just ask. You just ask. The last thing about common sense is um, the common sense by speaking the healing words. And, And Jesus did this so often, and it's probably the biggest area of ministry that we have. The opportunity to speak healing words, Jesus did it with the centurion's servant, He just spoke the word, and the servant was healed. Remember, the centurion said, I know how much power there is in a word. All I have to do is say the word, and an entire regiment of soldiers go and do anything I tell them to do. And Jesus said, wow, you know, I'm just going to speak the word, and your servant's going to be healed. And he was. Matthew 8, Jesus commands the winds and the waves. He just spoke the word. You say, what did that have to do with healing or, or, or loss? The, the disciples in that context were on a boat in the Sea of Galilee. And if you don't go with me to Israel, and if you don't see what one of those boats looked like, and if you don't ride with them, and if you're not out on a boat when the winds come up on the Sea of Galilee, you won't appreciate the fact they thought they were all going to die. 
And Jesus spoke the words, and the winds and the waves subsided. You know, what can we do? Words of healing. Send notes. Send cards of encouragement to speak into their lives. I never hesitate to tell people that I love them. I've already said that. How are things going is a question that I frequently ask. But then if you're going to ask them that question, then you have to allow for their undivided attention. You have to give them that. Call, text to remind them that they're not forgotten. Don't offer advice unless they ask for it. Don't launch into some great advice-giving sermonette unless they ask for it. Now, again, there are some circumstances where if someone is engaged in dangerous behavior, yes, you do need to speak into their life, but you need to earn that right to be heard. Well, all I'm saying is that what's a church to do? I'm saying exercise common sense. And look at the practices of Jesus in the pages of Scripture. Uh, Pastor Adam, you have uh, some things you want to say as we close? Absolutely. Absolutely.